Welcome back to part two on our series called Simple Gospel. I want to read two verses to you from Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17, that really are kind of the thesis of the gospel. In fact, there's no better book for you to read than the book of Romans to get a, a, a grasp on the, the complexity of the simple gospel. Let me read them for you. Chapter one, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel that is, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We mentioned in the first part of our series, the word gospel, euangelion in Greek simply means good news. It's good news. And as it worked its way into English, really a good history, a good story, his story working its way out, his truths working its way out in our life. And the question that I asked last week is this, how did something that was such good news become bad news in the world that we live? Well, to simplify the gospel, the past hundred years, the evangelical church, the Protestant church has been refining what they would call the four key points to the gospel. Now, having grown up a Catholic, I would say there really isn't anything particular that I would say the Catholic church would disagree with this, maybe by the means by which these things come. But let me read them to you. Number one, God made you and wants to have a relationship with you. He doesn't want to be a Sunday pit stop or a Christmas and Easter pit stop. Two, but the problem is, is that your sins separate you from God. Three, Jesus took the punishment for your sins that your sins deserved. It was your punishment. He took it upon him on the cross. So that three, if you repent of your sins, trust in him for your salvation, that he paid the price for your sins, not because you're, that, that you're a good person and you'll be a good, perfect person, but that you trust the penalty and the payment that he made for you. You're forgiven, justified, accepted by God's grace. Not only that, but he does life with you and dwells in you, not only in this life, but for all eternity. How has something that good become bad news? Now, as we talked about this, there's nowhere in the Bible last week that we mentioned, there's nowhere this week that I'd say again that the Bible calls the gospel simple. Just because something's simple, though, doesn't mean that it's shallow. It's illustrated once I heard like this, that the gospel is like a pool so shallow that a toddler could wade into it, but so deep an elephant could swim through it. The problem is, is that in the age that we live in, the current age of tweets and posts, the average tweet is 34 letters. The average Bible verse is 34 words. You wouldn't be able to put a, a single Bible verse up without the word more. Click here to expand it. It's... So to think that you could sum up the truths that are eternal or important for our life and the life to come in 34 letters, let alone 30 seconds in a video, is just not realistic. It's just not realistic. The Paul, Paul the Apostle doesn't call the gospel simple, but he does call it full and whole. And he says in Acts 20, 27, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. My question I posed to you again that I did last week, talking about the Apostle Paul, a man who became a follower of Christ, who was a religious man, observant in all ways, a good man, followed and dedicated himself to walking straight according to the law of the Jews in a crooked world. He said, I was set apart for the gospel, desired to preach the gospel, not ashamed of the gospel, was imprisoned for the gospel and was ready to die for the gospel. With, a, uh, with somebody like that, how is it that we are now in a time that the church is filled with people who will not 
forget die for it, won't even be willing to live for it. And that's why the message of the gospel is so important for us to look at. So let's chew on this in a few bites here on this thesis of the gospel. Bear with me, whether you're skeptic or you're sold out, God has something for you here. Let me pray. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would help my words to speak into the present and future of those listening. They would sit, they would seed, and they would grow and that you would allow the kingdom of God to be in them and their heart would be your throne and your truth would be their truth. They would come to see you the way that so many at Lowell AG know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to the first phrase. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's so important to look at Paul's culture and our culture. They're not really that different. The Greco-Roman world, the Mediterranean basin where Paul traveled was filled with philosophies, paganism. He was not living in the Bible belt of Jerusalem. He was going out to try and bring the message of Jesus to the world around him. And our culture is filled with people who would want someone embracing the claims of Christianity to be embarrassed, ashamed, even disgraced for thinking of sharing a message like that. Why would I make a statement like that? It, it sounds like you think everybody's against Christianity. Well, I would say this, mainline secular culture. Now hear me when I say that. We all live in, in a secular culture. Uh, I don't look at the pipes that go through my house and ask if they're Christian pipes or non-Christian pipes. I, I don't look at everything from that vantage point. We're, we're in the greater world itself, but, but the dominating philosophy and thinking of the age that we live in, the mainline secular culture has a knee-jerk reaction to the message of Jesus Christ the second it's introduced, the same way that Paul had to take a stand and say, I'm sorry, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the claims of Christ require that you embrace several uncompromising declarations. Let me give them to you. If I embrace the gospel, that there's a God and he made me and he wants a relationship with me and, and all of those things that we talked, first, I need to say that there is a God. Well, science has proven that God doesn't exist. Has it really? I didn't encourage you to read Reasons for God in an age of skepticism, if, if that truth is one that, you, that bothers you or gives that knee jerk to. Second is this, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, when Jesus says he is the truth, he's saying I am the exclusive truth. It doesn't make room for other ways or religions. He said it like this in John chapter 14, verse six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You, you may like Jesus, you may hate Jesus, but one thing you can't do concerning Jesus is say that he's open-ended on this. No, he is exclusive. And that is one of the knee jerks our culture makes is you can't make exclusive absolute statements like that. Jesus's statements clearly say all other truths and religions are not the way to God and enlightenment. How arrogant, how narrow, how insulting. You should be ashamed of a statement like that. Should you? Should you be ashamed of the gospel? Paul didn't think so. I don't think so. Here's the other truth that, that, that the this mainline culture kicks against is, is that the gospel says that God is holy and he has a standard. It's not defined individually and subjectively, but because of who he is and how holy he is, his very nature and presence is a contrast to highlight and show what is wrong in the world. And he therefore has the authority and, and the right to define what is right and wrong. In the book of Judges, chapter one, verse 17, I think it is, it says, there was a time in Israel where, where there was no king and each man did what seemed right in his own eyes. That's the day that we live in. 
subjective morality. Um, and the culture just looks at it and says, man, don't judge me. Because the truth is, is that if God is holy and he has a standard, it also means that he will judge everyone according to that standard. I always hear Christians say, don't judge me, judge not lest you be judged. Well, the Bible also says that God's people speak of the righteous judgments of God. It, it, there's a difference between judgment and condemnation. But, you know, if you're walking along with something hanging off your nose you, or something stuck on your shirt or, you know, your shirt's untucked, you put your collars flipped, you know, you appreciate someone pointing that out so you can fix it. And that's what God's trying to do with the world is help us to see the, where it's wrong so that he can make it right for us through Jesus Christ. Don't judge me though. You're no better than me. Who do you think you are? You're no better than me. That's kind of the kickback of the culture. You know what? As a pastor, as a Christian, I want you to hear this. I would completely agree with that statement. I'm no better than you. Anyone that attends this church or any other church is no better than you. The whole world is lost. Nobody's righteous. Just go through the Ten Commandments. I didn't kill anyone. I never killed anyone. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't stolen anything. No, but Jesus says if you ever looked at somebody lustfully, it's as if you've committed adultery already with them. Have you ever coveted anything? In other words, that you're not content with the life that you have, but you're always looking over the, the fence of somebody else's life and say, oh, I wish, and your contentment is, is lost because you're looking at what somebody has and you're willing to spend your well-being and the well-being of your family to get that perfect thing that, that would make you happy instead of being content with the blessing of who God is and who and where he's brought you. That's covetousness. Nobody can stand up straight in that kind of buckling truth. Now, here's something I want you to consider when I talk about the gospel and not being ashamed of it and what it means to all of us in the claims of Jesus. The question is, what position's right? Now, without me saying well, of course, he's going to say Christianity's right because he's a pastor and he's in a church. But let, let's suspend that for a second. Let me ask you two questions. Or let me make two statements. If mainline secular culture, both Paul's American culture and now in this country, if that culture is right, then Christians have lived their lives like dogs chasing, chasing their tail and barking and biting at people as they went by randomly. What a wasted life. However... If the claims of Christ are true, if Christianity is right, then people who chose not to listen or respond or choose not to exhaustively and objectively examine the merits and the claims of Christ, they've made a terrible, dire, grave mistake with eternal consequences. In other words, the illustration I would give for that would be that it's like somebody who's consumed poison and someone hands them the antidote but rather than examining it or intaking it, they outright reject it because they disagree with the branding label that's on the bottle. Is it really worth it to do that? Don't you think that it's worth fully, objectively, and exhaustively searching out the truth rather than parodying God in a tweet, in a TikTok, in a, I just don't want to talk about it anymore, or... You know, it's not. Eternity's at stake. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to save us from the poison that we consume daily and a terminal consequences. And he graciously gives humanity the antidote. And I would say this to Christians that are listening to me right now. As far as sharing the gospel, imagine if you held the cure for cancer, COVID, or whatever, 
but you were insecure how people or the press would react to you making that claim. So rather than sharing it with the world or sharing it with those that need it, you chose never to release it, but keep it private. That's, in, that's insane. That makes no sense. But I'd like to say for those of us that have the gospel, that aren't sharing it, that might be ashamed of it. Apostle Paul would say to you, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And if he wasn't ashamed of it, I think he would say to you, neither should you be. Why? Because it's the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. The gospel and the God who wrote it is powerful. Many who believed it were willing to die for it. Many tried to murder the gospel. In fact, you have Frederick Nietzsche in the between uh, 1844 and 1900, he makes a statement, God's dead. We've, we've educated ourselves beyond this. We understand. We have enlightened ourselves. We've, we've transcended the concept of God, and we know he's dead, and, you know, it's just us. Well, the power of God and the power of men definitely resist one another, and man is definitely playing tug of war with the truths of eternity, with their little temporal life. When it comes to Let's not just say religion, but let's say the gospel. When it comes to the gospel or religion as a whole, we could expand it. There are really three ways you could deal with this. And this comes out in the work called the gospel and life. First, you could do this. You could outlaw religion. That's what communism and socialism and fascism did. You could condemn religion, secondly, as illogical or irrelevant, make religion irrelevant. In a couple ways you could do that. You could say, well, religion is, all religions are equal. You can't have that line of reasoning because now you've become a moral, a moralist, which is really religion in and of itself. Because if you say that of Christianity and you say Buddhism and Hinduism and all these different isms are right, you also have to say that about religions that require the sacrifice of children. And that then instantly you could say, well, that's not moral. Well, then who determines what's moral and right? You really get yourself into a conundrum of logic there. Then you could say, well, religion is just a human or a cultural con construct. Well, then you have to really walk through what uh, I, would, I would say is looking and seeing how religion is played out worldwide. The one place that Christianity is unique, a couple of places that Jesus is the only one that says, love your enemies. Number two, he's, he's the only one that claimed to resurrect from the dead. And thirdly, and so if he is correct on that, he, he's either, listen, his claims are either he's a lunatic he is an outright liar, but if that evidence bears out that he did do that, then he is Lord, and the question is, is why have we not yielded to the gospel? So the third reaction that you could do is say that, well, let's keep religion private. The Roman, uh, the Roman Empire, the communist nations of the world made it illegal. The Renaissance and the Enlightenment deemed it relative and irrelevant and definitely in the day that we live in, in our Western world, all three of these, privatizing it is definitely at work. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's why. It's the power of God, salvation. Bear with me for a second as I show that power of work through history. Take a walk with me through history. Go back to the beginning of the, the toddler moments of Christianity when Christ came and fulfilled the, the Jewish prophecies of Messiah and began to, talk, uh, to mention to his disciples, I will be suffered, crucified, buried, and on the third day raised again for the forgiveness of sins. In the Roman Empire, every time you said Jesus is Lord, you were indirectly saying, and you Caesar are not, which was punishable by death. 
So Nero burns a section of Rome, it's, it's believed, and he confiscates two, almost three million square feet to build a pleasure palace with no bedrooms and all banquet halls. He makes Christianity illegal. In fact, he blames Christians for the fire and rides around in his chariot in the gardens with human beings crucified, Christians crucified and hanging on crosses lit on fire to light the way as he drives. Along in that, in that time comes uh, Clement of Alexandria who lived through those days and he writes this early church father. He says, many martyrs are daily burned, crucified and beheaded before our eyes. Imagine something like that, your children witnessing before them all the time because of their faith in Christ. About a couple, of, a couple of centuries pass, and then another persecution happens under the Roman emperor Diocletian. Again, he says, I'm God, Jesus is not. They, they give a royal edict where they publish everywhere that churches are to be leveled to the ground, the scriptures destroyed by fire, and along come Constantine in around 312, 325 AD, the final emperor comes in and says, Christianity is legal from here forward. Well, you would think that that would have solved the problem, but the problem is not legislation, it's the hearts of men. And I'd just dare to say this in a very brief snippet without blowing this out. You can't legislate religion into the hearts of men any more than you can legislate racism out of the heart. The only thing that does that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I could speak to my fellow brothers and sisters trying to make a difference of social justice, whether it is in any form whatsoever, it is the gospel that makes that change and the ministry of reconciliation, not retribution, not retribution. Go into the Renaissance, 1408, the Catholic church, priests are the only ones that have access to the Bible. And so some begin to say, let's move this into the English language as the gospel spreads across the English speaking world. But in 1408, they forbid the Bible to be translated into English so that it does not fall into the hands of common people. This gives way to the Renaissance that believed in what we call the priesthood of all believers. Religion has caused massive hurt and hate through the ages. I would not disagree with that statement, but I would say religion, yes, the gospel of Jesus Christ, absolutely not. Religion sometimes takes the seat and throne intended for the for the God who created this world. And so in that time, 1440, the printing presses is released. And now the cat, it, it, you can't stop this movement. A man by the name of William Tyndale in 1536 begins printing the Bible in English. And the church says to him, if they catch him, they're going to, they're going to try him and kill him. He's finally caught. And as he's there with one of his assistants, they, they, they sentence him to death by burning at the stake. And his assistant says to him, and when you're in there, if God's grace is sufficient, just, just if you can raise one finger. I don't know about you, but if I was asked to die for my faith, I wouldn't be like, yes, you know, I, I would probably be shaking. I would be trembling. I would be fearful. But as the apostle Paul said, these light and momentary trials are nothing compared to the glory that's to come. And if you believe that, the, that Jesus is real, the resurrection is real, that forgiveness is real, that eternity and heaven is real, you can face anything with that truth. And Tyndale goes into the fire and as he's burning and screaming and in pain because that stuff is real, he doesn't hold up one finger, he holds up two to say that God's grace is more than enough. But then it comes the enlightenment. Men like Voltaire that we talked about in the first part of the series says, a hundred years from now, the day will come where the Bible is 
not read, not even accepted or looked upon seriously in the face of the earth. Really? Not this powerful gospel. In fact, the irony is, is that his home is now a library for ancient biblical manuscripts. You can't stop this thing called the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God to salvation. Now, some of you listening to me remember back in the 1980s and the 1990s, in the Cold War, many of the people that are watching this, some of you that are younger, you didn't live through that. But we saw the mark of communism, the war that was declared on religion around the world. And we saw the Berlin Wall fall. Karl Marx in his Communist Manifesto writes these words. He says, let the ruling classes tremble at the communistic revolution. The proletarians, in other words, the people that were less fortunate, less wealthy, less privileged, ha they have nothing to lose but their chains. They have a world to win. Working men of all countries unite. He predicted that there would be an uprising throughout the world of the common man against the the aristocracy, and there would be murder and bloodshed. Well, as time passed, that didn't happen. And a man by the name of Lenin in 1917 came on the scene, gathered a group of people around him called the Bolsheviks, and he said, if the people aren't going to rise up, we're going to create a core group of people that will make it happen. And this, you have the communist revolution. And in a moment, 500,000 Christians are murdered. The Wall Street article written in November 6, 2017, reads 100 years of communism and 100 million dead by the Bolshevik plague of Russia. It pours into China to the east. It pours westward into the eastern part of Europe. I'll never forget as a child having a friend of mine, Paul, whose family fled from Hungary because of communism. In the year uh, 1985 and June 14th, another Wall Street article was written and it was titled When Hungarians Turned the Bible into Toilet Paper. It was seen between the Hungarians and between there and, and Romania as they fell into the grip of communism and began to cast off religion as irrelevant for, for, and in, in fact made it illicit. They took Bibles and you could see in the toilet paper printing. You would have thought that that power would have destroyed it. Absolutely not. In fact, right where I stand right now, my friend Miral, last year in October, we pledged $10,000 to plant a church back in Budapest, Hungary. We've sent 5,000 to him. We're sending another 5,000. This gospel is powerful. Why? It is the power of God to salvation. Why would you have stopped giving to missions, giving to the kingdom, giving to the furtherance of the gospel. Why? Why when you had somebody like Pastor Wally Mangandal, who will embed in the notes a link to his message, who was on death row in Saudi Arabia, who was not afraid of the gospel, but was willing to die for it. Another man who stood here, Daniel Messiah, who will embed that link to his message, who was on death row in Egypt, willing to proclaim the gospel, willing to die for the gospel, that stood in front of this church and shared that they are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Why is it that Paul's willing to die for the gospel and we can't even share it? Could it be that we're living out a different gospel than the one Jesus died for? Are you living for things Jesus didn't die for? Are you holding onto things he didn't die for? Those are fair questions for those of you that are followers of Christ that call Lowell Assembly your home. 
Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's ironic. He says, as it is written. As I close here, I want you to understand something. That verse is found in the book of Habakkuk. I believe it's 2.17, 2 something. And these, but if you read the book of Habakkuk, it's during a terrible time of persecution. It's during the invasion of a foreign army. They're killing everyone. They're destroying the temple. Everything is hopeless and lost. And Habakkuk cries out to God and says, oh God, why? Why do you allow evil to happen? Why suffering? So many people out there, you're listening to me right now and you're saying, if there's a God, then why is there suffering? Now suffering is a byproduct of sin. Salvation is a byproduct of Jesus who suffered, by the way, for us. And is a God who can look at you and say, I know what it is like to be in pain. I know what it is like to be sick. I know what it's like to be betrayed. But it doesn't work like that. You've got really a choice when it comes to the gospel. You could do one thing. You could ignore the gospel. Say, I neither believe that there is a God nor a savior nor morality that I'm subject to. And you could do that and be the one that holds that that antidote in your hand, but refuses to drink it because you don't like the label or you don't believe that it's really there. Uh, I would say that you haven't exhausted your search. In fact, you may very well not have even really properly begun it in the right direction. Second thing you could do is what so many other people do and so many potentially in this church, which would grieve my heart. People who actually step into the religion versus the gospel. You see, when I say that, I mean people who rely on being a good person versus Christ's death and resurrection. Your good behavior does not determine you a good place with God. This is not a frequent flyer thing. Jesus said to the Pharisees, the people who thought that they were the, re the center of the religious understanding of the world of his time. He says, you guys, he's, he looks at me, he says, you, you, you think that you have the corner on the truth and you search the scriptures, but they speak about me and you miss it. And in fact, prostitutes and tax collectors are entering the kingdom of heaven. The thing I love about Lowell Assembly is, is that we have people in this church who is sitting next to executives and people of resource right next to people who are living homeless on the street and and prostitution and everybody in between. It was never about how low one person was and how high another person is. Everybody's hopelessly lost without Jesus, which brings us to the right response, I think, to the gospel. That it's a righteousness of God that's revealed for faith, by faith, not faith in your religion, not faith in your goodness, not faith in that God's probably not real and I won't have to give an account to him. What a terrible thing to waste a lifetime and that, to find out that you wasted eternity. But it's by faith, embracing the truth that I'm not good enough, nor could I ever be holy enough to accept, except for the fact that Christ's death, resurrection, paid the price for my sin. And my obedience is not me earning good standing with God, that I value what he did for me. I value him to continue to be plugged into his kingdom, to be in community with his people, to be in his word. There are many of you in our church since COVID hit, your reading of the scripture has gone down and down and down. I think it's time you pick up that book again. I think it's time you begin to reread the gospel. I think it's time you begin to read a chapter of the book of Romans several times as we're going through this. Why? Because my life living for Christ is not to earn right with him. It's to show that I value the sacrifice that he made for me. 
and that I believe that his truth is the truth. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God for salvation to anyone, not who attends church, not for anyone who ignores God. No, for anyone who believes. For it is written, the righteousness of God is revealed for faith by faith. It is written, the righteous shall live by faith. God never answers Habakkuk's question, why God? Why do you allow this? Why this suffering? He simply says, the righteous will live by faith. That word literally means faithfulness. It doesn't mean perfection, but you continue in the direction that God says is what's right and holy because he is what is holy and he has the right to determine that. We don't have the right to, relative, to make relative what truth is or convenient. That's an American construct. We can form everything to our individual liking and preference. No. What about God's preference? What about God's liking? What about the gospel? God can make us for the gospel, to share the gospel, to not be ashamed of the gospel, and if necessary, imprison and even die for the gospel because eternity is real. And that's what I want to pray for right now, that you would invite God, whether afresh and anew or for the first time into your life, and you continue to join back with us. And here's two things I ask. After I pray here, if you pray this prayer, that you would click, click that button if you're on the site, I commit to Christ, and that you would send us an email to office at lolag.org, and you would fill out one of those connect cards and click that button so that we can begin to journey with you and connect with you. But let me pray for you this prayer, not a prayer of religion, a, prayer, a gospel prayer. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we were made by you and made to be in relationship with you. But Lord, our sin separates us from you. And just like we don't want to bump into somebody where something embarrassing happened to us in their presence and we were embarrassed of that, Lord, we don't have to be embarrassed before you. Nothing's hidden from you. You love us faults and all. In fact, you love us so much that you died for us on the cross and you didn't end it there. You paid the penalty of our sins so that we not only could be forgiven, you were able to uphold your standard and yet you were able to still accept us in love like a father willing to die for their children. You did that for us through Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we, because of that, are not just passing the time until heaven comes, but we are going to live the gospel in our everyday life until we meet you face to face. Lord, I pray that the gospel, the full gospel, the true gospel would be at work in those that are listening. Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Pray that you join us here soon. We might have an occasional speaker in between this series, but we're going to continue this truth until it's deep in our heart, in our head, and in our hands. God bless you. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. Thank you so much for joining us for online service today. Be sure to check out our website, lowellag.org, for all information and updates. See you soon.